the good news of Jesus Christ. Today I'm going to be talking about entering the rest of God, what that means, what it meant in the ancient Near Eastern uh, theology and philosophy, what they thought about that, what rest truly was. We're going to look at uh, scripture in Matthew 11. We'll talk a little bit about what it means when Jesus said that he has revealed these things to little children. And then what he then said when he said uh, that he chooses to reveal it to people and that we can come and basically learn from him and enter into the rest that he offers and that we will find rest for our souls. Uh, I, th I think that we're going to cover a lot of ground, but we're going to talk about these things. And I trust it's going to bless you. I want to just first, before we get into the message, thank everybody that slot in faithfully and that I can serve with this good news. And as always, it is good for me to see the fruit that this message brings to people's lives, how they deal with their problems from the foundation of uh, the work that God has done in Jesus Christ. Now they start to look at this world, politics, things around them, business, uh, relationships from the perspective of the resurrection and eternal life. It's good to see the wisdom of God that's manifesting in your lives. Thank you for allowing me to serve you with that, wash your feet with that. I also want to just use this opportunity to thank everybody that supports Dynamic Love Ministries. Thank you for your faithful support. There are people that have been minis uh, ministering to to others by giving uh, into Dynamic Love Ministries for many, many years, faithfully giving. And uh, we want to just thank you for just being part of this family, supporting this ministry, and uh, through your finances, we can serve many people. Even our building project that we are doing in Zambia is doing very well. Thank you for everybody that is giving towards Dynamic Love Ministries. It's an honor uh, to have a family and people around uh, Helena and I and uh, that, that is willing to also support this uh, financially. Thank you so much. Well, let us pray together and we're going to get right into the word. Father, thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the life that you've come to give us. Thank you for the abundance of joy that you have in your heart that you share with us. Thank you that our lives are safe in your hands and that we can enter into your rest and rest from our works and that we can have your life in abundance in us and through us. And thank you that we can understand what these things mean. Amen and amen. Okay, I'm going to start and I'm going to read from Matthew 11 and verse 25. Uh, and this scripture here is just after... Uh, Jesus came and he rebuked four towns. He rebuked uh, Chorazin, Tyre, Sidon, and Capernaum uh, for their pride and basically what they thought they were by their own works and uh, how they elevated and lifted themselves up. He basically said that if these miracles that was done amongst you was done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. But what he basically said is that um, they did not have access to this life uh, because of their own wisdom and their own way of thinking and the pride in their heart. And then something strange happens and it says in verse 25, and I'm reading it from the NIV, it says here, At that time Jesus said, 
I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So what he basically does, if you look at the whole of, um, of Matthew 11, talks about John the Baptist and the kingdom of God and the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And then he says, you've hidden it from certain people now it sounds as if god hid, uh, did hide knowledge of salvation from people basically and some people interpreted that it was his will that these people will be destroyed and go to hell but that is not what jesus is saying here the bible says at that time jesus said now we can read it that at the moment just after rebuking these people or we can say that he did rebuke in the people but in that time period little children and we get the picture of Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. And that there was basically no grown-ups understanding the gospel. And it was now revealed to little children. Now, this is not what this passage is about. It's not about small children understanding the gospel. Let me tell you something. Uh, if you understand the gospel and you try to explain it to a child, there's just as much chance that the child doesn't understand it as what a grown-up doesn't understand it. I've seen it all my life. Maybe I'm just not good with kids, but uh, it is just the way it is. Don't think that salvation is found in age or understanding is found in age. That's not how it works. You can find somebody that's 50 years old, he hears the gospel and he will believe the gospel. And you can go to a little child and you can teach the gospel to him. And just after that, he can go and cry at his mom because something didn't happen right according to the law because his brother got a sweet and he didn't get a sweet. And he can be completely legalistic and find his life in the abundance of his possessions and so forth. So this does not reveal, that this, this does not say that the kingdom of God belongs to the young. Uh, it, it, it's got something else in mind here. What he's saying is he's saying that there were Jewish people, they were flooded in pride and they were thinking that uh, life came and wisdom came by the law and, the, and how they would set up the kingdom of God through their hard work and all those kind of things. And a lot of these people were flooded with, with pride, lifted up in, in the law and also in their abundance of their possessions and all these kind of things. And Jesus said, that that is eternal life is not there. Then he goes on and he says uh, that these things, the kingdom of God has been revealed to little children. Now what he's talking about in the next sentence is uh, in verse 27, he says the following, he says, all things have been committed to me by my father. So what he's now actually saying is he's saying that he is a little child. Jesus is referring to himself as a little child because the things are closed to the eyes of these people flooded with pride and now he sees himself as a little child although he's at this time at the age of about 30 and he's, he, he prays he says all things have been committed to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son so what he's basically saying is is that i'm like a little child i'm humble I am listening to the Father, and He has revealed these things to me, and it's also being revealed to whosoever the Son choose to reveal it. In other words, whosoever would be little children as pertaining to the Son would then have these revelations. 
and would have understanding. Uh, now, it might sound a bit complicated, but I think once we understand this, we will understand what the next verse means, talking about rest, when he's, when he's saying, and I'm reading verse 28, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The context here is being like a little child. And now he, he says, come and learn from me. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So what Jesus is basically saying is, is that he is humble, he is gentle, he's humble in heart. How is he humble in heart? The Father has got a will that he reveals unto him. And Jesus is basically saying, I am humble and I am born from what the Father says like a little child. I'm not standing like a grown-up uh, flooded in the power of myself, but I am born from the Father. So what he's saying here is, is no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son. I can explain it this way. Uh, I can have friends. And friends might say that they know me, but there's nobody that knows me like my own sons. And that is not because of the time we've spent together. It's not because they know the theology that I teach. I, I would argue that there are people that know the theology that I teach better than my sons. Uh, but knowing me, nobody knows me the way my own sons know me. And uh, I can even go as far as to say this, that nobody knows, not even Helena can know me as good as what my sons know me. And I can go even further and I can say that I cannot even know Helena as good as what my own children would know her. And that is because of birth. And I want to explain that. Uh, years ago, and I've said it in my messages, I was uh, outside and Bertus was building himself a go-kart. And I think he was 12 years old. He was welding the thing there and he needed a, a grinding disc and he wanted to cut a piece of steel. So I said to him, son, you have to walk down to the hardware shop and buy this disc. And so when I told him that, I could already feel his frustration because I'm living in him. He is my son. I, he, I, know, I knew exactly what he felt when I told him that he has to walk down to the hardware shop because he's not in the mood uh, to, to walk down and he is task oriented. So he's so much task oriented that he would think that going down to the hardware shop is going to uh, uh, stop him from doing his work. So he, does, he, he would see that as an hindrance. It's not a hindrance. It's, I mean, if you get the grinder, you can do the job. But he sees it as a hindrance because it's not immediate. It's not quickly. It's not like that. And his father is like that. And I, I knew that if I told him that he must go and do that, it would, I told him that he had to go. It's because I had other things that I was busy with and I didn't want to be hindered. And I was, Because we're exactly the same. So he walked down to the hardware shop, he bought the uh, grinding disc, he came back and then he put the grinding disc into this machine, the cutoff machine, he puts it in there. And then I saw that his, ear, his eyes was tearing up. And I was thinking, what is it with my son now? What now? And then he realized that the grinding disc that he bought was the wrong one. And he had to go back and buy the correct one. He's just been at the shop and he took the wrong one. So I want to tell you, I immediately knew what he felt like. I, I know him and he knows me. 
Why? Because he is my son. He is born of me. So what the Father is basically, or what Jesus is saying here is that the only way we can truly know the Father is through birth. And the way that birth takes place is by us agreeing with God and having his life as the source of our life. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said that he was humble. And if we link this to last week's message connecting it to Isaiah 58 on what the true fast is, we will see that Jesus humbled himself. He entered into the Sabbath of God the Father, which was to rest from your own works and to believe in the work that he has done and that he is now ruling with his life where he gives life. So Jesus was basically saying, to make it very simple, he was saying, listen, the life of God, who God really is, is not revealed uh, through the, uh, the, the way the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees understood the law and how they had the feasts and went to the temple and the Jewish systems or any of those things. That is not how life is accessed. The only way life is revealed is unto little children or uh, is revealed into those that are born of God. And he then basically defined himself as a little child or one born of God. And the way it takes place is by humbling yourself. And how that humbling of yourself took place is, when, is, is like in things where like the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said to Jesus, good master, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And then Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Now, one can argue and say, uh, just for those that listen with a, a real theological mind here, is some might argue and say, but, and I used to argue like that and say, but uh, this is basically the rich young ruler seeing that this is God in the flesh. And he's starting to realize that this is God in the flesh. And he's saying, uh, calling him good because he's getting the revelation that this is God in the flesh. Which I think, in, in hindsight, as I look back on that, that is an eisegesis where I was reading things into the text. Uh, it could be like that. I mean, one has to explore that. It would simply mean what the words say. And why do you call me good? There's only one that is good. And that you don't have to call me good. There's only one good, and that is God. Now, one might say, are we saying by that that Jesus is evil and that he is bad? or anything like that, not at all. We're just talking about good unto a certain purpose. It's like uh, this, this highlighter. Is this highlighter good? Well, it depends on what you want to use it for. It's absolutely useless, not good, if you want to put a nail into a piece of wood. Or if you need fuel for your car, it's absolutely not good. If you need uh, a plastic wire for your wheat eater, you know, or the, the, the edge cutter to cut the lawn. It's useless. But it is good unto um, highlighting. Very good. In the very same way, Jesus said, Here am I. I am a man. I was born of a woman under the law, and I've entered into the weakness of man, and me myself, by my own ability, am, I, I am not good as pertaining to bringing salvation. He's basically said there, if you read John 4 and John 6, that the works that he's doing is only doing what he sees his father is doing. And that the father was in him and he was in the father. And that basically the success he has is because he is submitted to the father. 
and the rulership of the Father over sin and death is what he submitted himself unto, and that the life that he found in this world was basically uh, the Father's life born in him. That is what he is saying. And then he submitted himself to the Father, and he didn't stand in the power of his own will, but even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he submitted himself to the Father, and he said, Father, not my will be done, but your will. And what happens? Who the Father is, is born in him. And that is how he knows God. That's how he knows the Father. And that is how he is a little child. And the kingdom and the manifestation of the kingdom is revealed in and through him. Glory to God. That to me is very, very good news. Uh, especially if we start to understand that Jesus himself saw, had to see himself as a little child in the context of the scripture. He says here that these things are not revealed unto these wise Jews, but it's revealed unto little children. And then he declares that the Father has revealed it unto him. So he had to say that I don't live. And we find this again, I've quoted many times. We can read this in Matthew. Uh, he went into the desert and he said, my life is not from turning stones into bread, but I live from every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. So many times we say that we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. We sometimes think, yes, we would need the bread, but we also need the words that come from the mouth of the Father as if it is a mixture between law and grace. But if you carefully read what it says, it says one shall not live by bread alone. So the context is by what alone will you live? Then he says, but from every word. In other words, you will not live by bread alone, but you will alone live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. And Jesus applied that to his own life, saying, I don't live by my own power, but I'm living by what the Father has promised me. So his life was born from the Father. He was a son of the Father. And so he was experiencing the kingdom of God. Then he comes with that in mind and he says, Come to me, all you that are weary and burdened. That word weary there means tired of working very hard. So come to me, all you that are tired of working very hard. What is the tiredness that he's talking about here? We see that, that in the word um, burdened. So if you are tired of working very hard, being burdened, that burdened means to be a vessel that is overburdened with ceremony or spiritual anxiety. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Come on, church. This is good news, man. So if you are tired because you are overburdened with ceremony, you know what ceremony is. You get the ceremonial procedures on what you think you need to do to inaugurate the presence of God. Uh, in the, the, the ceremonies that there were in the ancient Near Eastern uh, religions, what they did was they would build a temple. After building the temple, there was ceremony. Uh, there were certain ceremonial actions. And when the ceremonial actions was done accurately, then it was believed that the presence of the God would come down. 
So they would have a building. Uh, they would build like the Temple of Solomon. took seven years to build that. But then you would have a building. It would still not be a temple. It would only be a building. But it would become a temple once God has brought his presence into that temple. So moving from building to temple would be uh, happened in ceremony. So there were certain things that was done, certain worship that was taking done, certain offerings that was brought, certain sacrifices that took place. And, that, and then in, once that has taken place, we would find the presence of God come down. And then God would be amongst them. So what he's talking about here, when he talks about ceremony, talk, he's talking about everything you think you have to do after the thing has now been built, so that God's presence can come down and you can have God with you. And when God would be with you, it would be understood by the Jews of that time that they would then find rest. And that rest would be from Rome. So they would find rest from their enemies, rest from war, rest from oppression, and that's when they could be truly Jews and live the life that God has for them. That would include land and a lot of things so he says here you are weary and burdened meaning you are at the place where you are overburdened with ceremony to the point that you are spiritually anxious you are basically burdened with spiritual uh, anxiety and this is because of the external forms of religion forms of civility civility rules established by customs or regulating social intercourse so we're saying the way we need to live with one another, I'm tired of that. If you're tired of thinking how, that God's presence would only come in how you treat your neighbor. If you're tired of loving your neighbor as yourself. If you are tired of all the laws and the customs and all these kind of things. Jesus says, if you're weary, if you're burdened of this, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. So what they wanted rest from is they wanted to enter into rest, but they couldn't enter into rest from their enemies because they have not done the ceremony accurately to the point that they could enter into rest. That would rest would mean to share in the dream that God has for you. That is what it means. Understood now by us as the church, and especially those who see the resurrection for what it truly is, as sharing in the life that comes from the amalgamation between, we kind of call it like that, or uh, we will look at the word equilibrium, where there's a unity between God and man, where man is fully satisfied with, and saturated is the right word, with God, and where God is fully saturated with man. And we find this absolute equilibrium, unity, uh, or equality of yoke, we can also put it there, where God and man became one. We who believe upon that, we've entered into the rest. Why? Because we've seen that what God has dreamt for man has now become ours. So, he says, come to me all you that are weary and burdened. This is what they would have understood, that are anxious. And riddled with anxiety because of ceremony and overworking ceremony, tired of not having access and experiencing what was promised by God. 
the people of that time would also have interpreted this, that you would come to Jesus and that he would then give you victory over Rome. And I think that is why in Acts chapter 1, they asked Jesus in his resurrection, is this now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom back unto Israel? Because they were still thinking that it, it, it was all about that. Okay, then it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Now, when you go and study the word yoke there, it's very interesting. Let's see if I've got it here. Yes. It says here, take my yoke upon you. The word yoke here means balance that shared the burden. So what is happening here is, he says, what I want you to take upon me is the balance that there is between me and the Father, co-sharing in the burden of bringing the will of the Father to man. So take that upon you. So go and look at Jesus. What did he, another way of looking at it is, take upon you on what the Father and myself am doing for you. Take it upon you. Learn from me. That is what he's saying. Remember Jesus says in John chapter 4, the Father is working and I am working. So they were both working together in achieving a certain goal. And that goal was the unity between God and man. He says, come to me, take how the Father and I am equally yoked in seeing a certain outcome and take what I'm doing, the Father and myself doing, put it upon yourself. In other words, take what Jesus accomplishes, put it upon yourself. He says, you learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So the objective here is rest for the soul. But the way wherein Jesus accesses that is by being gentle and humble. When we go to Matthew chapter 5, we find that Jesus says, Blessed are those, let us go and read that quickly. I'm going to read Matthew 5. Remember the Jews wanted to inherit the earth. That's what they wanted. Listen to what it says in Matthew 5. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down with his disciples and came to him. And he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is what Jesus declares about himself. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Come and learn of me. I am poor and gentle in heart. I'm poor in spirit. I'm humble. To me belongs the kingdom of God. Come learn of me. What would you have learned from Jesus? What you have what you learned from Jesus is that he humbled himself under the word of the Father which was the promise that he will be raised from the dead, that he is Lord, that he is the eternal, immortal Son of God, and that that would manifest in his body. Jesus did not try to bring that forth by his own power. He was not this superhuman being that by his own power brought forth the kingdom of God. No, he was humble. And what is humility? What is humble is to hear that someone else promises you something where you can acknowledge by your own power that you cannot have it by your own power and you would believe upon the Father and then the, the rulership of the Father that was from the day he rested uh, in, on the seventh day where he ruled to bring forth life in this world would then manifest in this man and he would bring it forth. The Father would bring it forth. Remember, Jesus Christ did not say that I will raise myself on the third day. He says that I will be raised on the third day. 
Now, there's a difference between saying, I will raise myself, or in saying, I shall be raised. There's a difference. We know that Jesus was raised by the Father. That means that Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead, but that he was uh, living in faith towards the Father, in that the Father could raise him from the dead. And he walked a life of humility. He was humble in what? In trying to do everything right? No. He was, all that he wanted to do was to believe the Father. That is all. Then Jesus says, come and learn of me. I am humble. I'm lowly in heart. Unto me belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus himself found himself mourning. This was also just, just before that. You know, he would cry. He would say to these people, I don't want you to be destroyed. I want true righteousness come to the earth. He says, he will be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus didn't go and say, well, look at me. I am righteous Jesus. I'm living perfectly right according to the law. No, Jesus was saying, my body, who I am, hungers and thirsts for the righteousness that God has promised towards man, which is to bring eternal life to humanity. And I hunger for the Father to bring that forth in me and manifest that fullness in my body as I would be raised from the dead. Jesus lived in humility towards the Father. I think it's very difficult for us to believe that Jesus Christ was truly a human being. He was a human. And he said, come to me. Learn from me. Take the victory that there would be between me and the Father and what we would accomplish and put it upon you. Learn this from me. I'm meek. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. Jesus knew that he could be tempted. Jesus knew he could be tempted. Was Jesus tempted? Yes, he was tempted. What is it? The Bible says God cannot be tempted. By that, I'm not saying that Jesus is not God. This, that's another teaching on itself. But I want to say, when Jesus manifested, when Jesus uh, was walking on this earth, he knew he could be tempted. He knew that, he, that, that temptation was around him. His flesh could be tempted. He knew that. But he humbled himself. And he did not boast in his own flesh. But he made his boast in the Father. And he said, come and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find, listen to this, rest for your souls. Now, I've thought this many times and I want to just say it again. When the Bible refers to soul here, I don't think he's referring to the mind, will, and emotions of man or the intellect of man. I don't think that is what he refers to. He refers to the very life of the person. It's like, uh, we here in the studio now, we are four souls that's sitting here. I'm, I'm preaching, three people are sitting here. So it is, we are four souls. And we might have, I don't know how many souls are watching this. Many people will be watching this. I don't know how many souls will watch this in the next year. Souls talk about people. And when I talk about my soul is vexed, it does not just mean my inner, my inner man or my mind. It talks about my life is in danger. There was eight souls in the ark in the flood of Noah. There were 3,000 souls got saved, you know, uh, or 3,000 souls got baptized and saved when Peter first preached. It talks about people. It talks about the life of the person. And I do have an in-depth teaching on that as well that I'm sure you guys are familiar with. So, 
when you find rest for your soul, it means your life. You will find rest for your life and the enemy of life will be taken away from you. So Jesus found rest for his soul, rest for his life in humbling himself before the Father because the Father promised that he would raise him from the dead. So when the Father promised that he would raise him from the dead, he found that my life is safe, my life is covered, I, I'm resting. When we look at Daniel, excuse me, Deuteronomy 12 verse 10, we can see rest in this context. It says here, but when we go over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord our God has given us to inherit, and when, we, uh, when he gives us rest from all our enemies around about, so that we dwell in safety. So we can see here that rest is acquainted with and understood by the Jews as resting from the enemy. Resting from the enemy attack. Resting from the threat of death and destruction. So they were saying that if we can go into the promised land that God has given us, they will find rest from our enemies and we can live our true lives. So what Jesus is saying when he's saying, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I learn from me, you'll find rest for your souls because I'm humble and lowly in heart. I receive life from the Father. And then as you are humble and lowly in heart, and you're not trying to find life by ethnicity, life by Jewish custom, life by law, life by politics, life by money, or any of those kind of things. But you come and you see that I promise that I will raise you from the dead. As what the Father promises that he will raise me from the dead. You will find that your life is now secure and you find resting from the enemy. Because you know that your life is safe. That is what he's saying here. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what he's coming and saying is what I would put upon you is something that's very easy. And this is not for you to work, but for you to believe upon me. That is what he is saying. Now, when we think of rest in the ancient Near Eastern context, I'm going to read you a commentary of a book called The Lost World of Adam and Eve. Um, and this is a commentary of page 47 to 52, uh, which is very good. If you want to go and get that book, get it. I just want to warn you, if you want to read it, it's not easy, easy book to read. The difficult uh, uh, con concepts and uh, contexts and all those kind of things. Uh, but uh, there's something beautiful in this that I want to bring to you. Talking about rest. And what the people in the ancient Near East would have understood under rest. And we're going to connect that to what Jesus is saying to us here. He says here, this commentator now, he says, or this person that writes this review, he says, When God tells the Israelites that he's going to give them rest from their enemies, he's not talking about sleep, relaxation, or leisure time. The rest that he offers his people refers to freedom from the invasion and conflict so they can live at peace with conduct and conduct their daily lives without interruption. It refers to achieving a state of order in society. So when God promised that he would give them rest, it would mean that he brought order and that they would be able to live their lives in peace. 
we look at what's going on in the world right now, for if you think of what's going on in Canada, you don't see a lot of order right now. You see some disorder. Now, what they are saying is, is and, 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 and if I understand what the truckers are saying, they were saying that there is no order and we are standing up, we want order. That's what they are saying. And different political views would have different, different opinions about that. But they want an order so they can continue to live their lives peacefully. And then rest them would mean, to the truck, would mean a change of laws about vaccination. And once the law has been changed according to them, you'll find that they would then rest from their work. And the work that they are doing is to. Uh, protest so the truckers are working they are in a protest once they give ear to their saying or to, to to their requests then they will enter rest that means that they will rest from working or protesting because according to them order has now come and now they can conduct their life according to the order that has now come and this is basically what this person is saying I will use one or two more examples in this as this message continues. Um, it says here in the second paragraph, I'm going to read another two paragraphs. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to read another paragraph here. It says, When Jesus invites people to come to come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, he's not offering a nap or leisure time. He's inviting people to participate in the ordered kingdom of God. Now, God's ordered kingdom, the way he orders his kingdom is like this. This is God's order. It's called the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Aaron. It's called the order of Melchizedek, which is the order of an endless life. The way God's kingdom is ordered is like this. God has got eternal life. He promises eternal life to others for he wants to share his life with people. Then he makes them live forever by fulfilling his promise. That is the order. That is the order. Whatever has to take place in order for that order to come to the earth is called work. That's why Jesus worked and the Father worked. When they finished their work, what happens? Jesus was uh, raised from the dead and sat at the right hand of God. His work was finished. And now after his work was finished, the order of eternal life is what the whole world is, has now uh, have to submit to because that order is now available for the world. So Jesus entered into his rest and now not to do nothing. He's now entered his rest, resting from his work in order to see eternal life Manifest in people. That's, that is what it is. So Jesus is not offering us to nap or leisure time. He's inviting us to participate in the eternal life of the kingdom of God. In this light of usage, we can discern that resting pertains to the security and the stability found in the equilibrium of an ordered system. Now, let me explain that. It sounds technical, but please hear me. This is really going to bless you. 
What he's saying is if we understand rest the way Jesus understood it, we will rest in the equilibrium of an ordered system. Now, the system that God has is not a system of works. The system that God has is this. God is eternal and he promises. That's his system. The equilibrium of that system is God promising and bringing a balance in the system, and this is how it works. God promised eternal life, and now there's, there's not equilibrium yet. The equilibrium can only take place when there is a manifestation of his promise. He then promises this to one man, Jesus, in which the promise would go to everybody. He then raises this man from the dead. And we find the fullness of God bodily in Jesus. A fulfilled promise in one man, Jesus Christ. Now he says, rest for us is to find security and stability in the equilibrium of this ordered system, which is the resurrection of Jesus. So we find stability, we find security in the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, and that he was raised from the dead by simply trusting the Father. His resurrection is a promise to us, wherein he promises us eternal life, and blessing, and righteousness, uh, security for the world and the earth, a new heaven, a new earth, the manifestation of the fullness of God, we then find security and safety in that truth as we enter into that rest by simply believing Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if I only preach myself happy, but this is such such good, good, good news. I want to explain it this way. And I'm, I think I'm going to end off with this example. When, um, when, let's, two examples. We're taking Russia and what's happening now in the Ukraine. It's the Ukraine that they want to, Russia and the Ukraine. You will find that Putin is not resting. And the reason why he's not resting is he feels that there's something that belongs to him. Not just to him, but to Russia. And he feels that NATO is not doing things right. They're not keeping to the deal that was made in 2007 or 2008, whatever. And he feels that they are becoming a threat to Russia. And that NATO is not what it's supposed to be. And now if there's a part of... Uh, the Ukraine, that is so Russian that they speak Russian. I'm just giving his point of view. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just using an example here. And, and he says they're so much Russian, they've, they've got the customs of the Russians, they speak the Russian language. They're Russian to the core, except for the country they live in, the, 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 what they named. And they feel that they belong with the Russians, so they just want what is theirs. And you'll find that Putin is not resting. He's working. He's working. Now, let's say it works out this way, that there's not a third world war, but that he does invade uh, that country and he takes the Ukraine over. The moment he's taken the Ukraine over, let's say there's not a third world war or people making war with him and people just accept it. You'll find that Putin will now rest. Does that mean that he's now finished with the Ukraine? No. He's only now starting. That is the start. 
So the, he, he, for six days he might work. Let's say it's a, a, a six-day war. For six days he can work. And then should he have conquered that country, you'd find on the seventh day he would rest. And that seventh day of rest would be as long as what that part of that, that country belongs to Russia. And the work of the seventh day is to bring whatsoever Russia is in its fullness to the Ukraine. To find uh, Russia and their rule and how they do things, their tax laws, everything that there is manifest in the Ukraine and to Russianize the Ukraine. That is what rest would mean. Rest would mean the end of the war and now the manifestation of the rulership. That's what it would mean. So when God in six days created the heaven and the earth, it took him six days wherein he worked to create a place wherein he can rule to bring forth what he dreamt from before the world was, which is a place where people can have eternal life. From the day that God entered into his rest, he rested from his work in creating a place where he can dwell, have relationship with people, and rule. As he rested, his rule started to take place in the earth. He brought forth a man, Jesus Christ. This man, Jesus, was then taken from the dust of the earth. He was made alive with the fullness of God. We found the, a manifestation of what he dreamt. Through this man, this man will bring that rulership of eternal life in human flesh to whosoever believes. So, we, this is what I want to say. God has conquered the country that I've lived in, which was called death. He has brought his son there and he's resting from his work to conquer death. And I am now under the rulership of life. And as that I'm, I'm resting under the rulership of life, I will find the fullness of heaven manifest in me bodily and manifest in you bodily as we rest in him. Final example. When we went to Zambia years ago, Ilian and I, our vision was to uh, to go and lead people to Jesus. And then as we went there, as I went back several times, I found that something rise in my heart that I want to make an impact in the whole of the Western Zambia there, really, uh, or I would say um, west of the Zambezi River, close uh, towards the Angola border, unreached villages there. I would like to go and preach the gospel there. And in order for me to do that, I had to work. The work that I had to do was, we, have, we had to plant some churches, train leaders, buy property, find that, that uh, register a ministry. We can, we can put it this way. On the first day, we went and we evangelized. On the second day, we, and it was the first day and it was the second day, we trained leaders. And on the fourth day, uh, you know, we bought a property. On the fifth day, we registered a ministry. On the sixth, sixth day, we went and built a mission station. And then when that was finished, on the seventh day, we rested. That rest would not mean we're doing nothing. That rest would mean that everything that had to take place in order for the original vision has now been done so that what I dreamt can now take place. And what we would then do is, we would go there, not build one brick, 
because it's not about a mission station. It's not about how many days it took to build the, the, the mission station. It's not about the, the bricks. It's not about any of that. Everything, all the work that was done was for the purpose of having a place where we can preach the gospel to other people. And if I enter my rest, it would mean I cease from building anything. And I go and I share and preach the gospel. Then I rule. Because I've now conquered what? I've conquered not having a good place to stay. I've conquered not having electricity. I've conquered not having running water. I've conquered all of that. And now I brought a well-balanced system there wherein I now, where I find this is effective and from here I can rule and reign and preach the gospel. That's how it works. So, everything that had to be done in order for you to share in the ordered system of life where you live from God's life has been done by God and Jesus. And all that Jesus is saying is he's saying to us, I want to in invite you into my rest, into the eternal life where my life is secure. And I want to tell you that my resurrection is your resurrection. So as I was raised and unto me was given the power to raise the dead, I want to invite you into my way of living, which is to humble myself in this sense that I'm saying, I believe the Father and I rest from everything I think I need to bring in order in order to share in the life of the Father. I just believe. That's all. And as we simply believe, we find the life of God. Glory to God. I end off by reading this, uh, uh, this concept in Hebrews chapter 4. Let me see if I've got it in my notes. Hebrews chapter 4. Listen to this. Now we can understand Hebrews 4. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into rest any of you seem to come short of it. Please listen. Let us be careful about this thing. There's still a promise of rest towards us. So there's a promise where God says, I promise you that you will have eternal life, resting from the manifestation of physical death in this world. Let us therefore be careful that we don't fall into a works system. But let us therefore believe. That's what he's saying. For we which have believed do enter into rest. So only when you believe that it would only be by Jesus and him keeping his promise that you will have eternal life. The moment you truly, truly believe that, you will rest from your work. That means that the work of the flesh will rest. That would mean the, crucifix the crucifixion of sin in the flesh and your works in the flesh would rest. You would not build your build life anymore by what you do in your own works. And, and I'm not going to go into depth in that. That's going to take a long time. Verse 3 says, although the works were finished, excuse me, uh, verse 4, for which we have believed do enter into rest. As he has said, I have sworn in my wrath that if they shall enter into my rest. In other words, uh, the fact that he has finished his work doesn't mean that everybody has entered into that rest. God has finished his work. 
He has done everything. It's like with me. I can go to Zambia and finish my work to preach the gospel. And my rest would be to share the eternal life that God has given me with other people. But although I've finished the mission station, does not mean that people will enter into the rest of life that I'm experiencing. The only way they'll enter into that is if they believe me. And they might have been busy with building many other things and doing other, other things whereby they would want to have life. They could be busy with idols, forefather worship, whatever they would be busy with. But they will only rest from their work when they believe me. That's when they will cease from their work. Although the work has been finished. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. So what he's saying, let us believe and so enter into the rest of God. Believe what? Believe what Jesus has promised, and I've said it several times now in this message. Verse 4, For we have spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God did rest on the seventh day from all his work. And in this place again, if they shall enter my rest. So it says, God has rested, so he's worked everything to bring his rule into manifestation. And then it says here, you must now enter his rest, mean submit to his rule, which is to humble yourself. Uh, kingdoms would have understood it this way. Uh, we could understand it this way in the in, uh, uh, countries that has been affected by imperialism and has been affected by colonialism and all the things. For them to humble themselves. Another, imagine another country comes and takes over South Africa again and we become a colony of another country. What would it take from us? We would have to humble ourselves and... When they have ended the war, if, if they've conquered, let's say another country comes, let's say uh, Russia comes and they decide they want to take over South Africa. If they've taken over South Africa, they've entered into our rest. The way we can enter into the rest of Russia is if we humble ourselves and accept this rule. That's the only way we can enter into the rest that the Russians have. So although they've rested, war has ended, it doesn't mean that we've entered into that rest. We only enter into that rest when we believe and accept the rulership. And that is what has happened. God has come, he has he's, he's conquered death, and he's raised Jesus from the dead, and he's resting now. He's conquered death. But now we can enter into that rest by accepting that the resurrection of Jesus would mean our resurrection and in accepting that we will cease from our works whatever we think we need to do in order to have peace, life, prosperity, joy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It ends off this way and I'm going to read it. I don't, don't have that in my notes. 4 verse 16. Listen to this. Hebrews 4, 16. I'm way over the time. But uh, it says, therefore, since we have, I'm going to read from verse 14. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who ascended into the heavens, entered his rest, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we pro uh, profess. What, what's the faith that we profess? That he's Lord and that we will be raised. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. 
but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as what we are. So what are we saying? He's entered his rest and he's ruled over all temptation. He knows how to conquer temptation. He knows how to conquer death. And we've got a high priest that has entered rest from death. And we now believe who he is and we submit ourselves to his rule. He was tempted yet without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Can you see the humbleness? We come with confidence to the throne of grace. What, to, to receive what there? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. And that is the last verse on the whole chapter in Hebrews 4, which is the main chapter talking about rest in the New Testament. How do we rest? We come to the throne of grace. So it can be by his work, which he has accomplished, which is simply a, a, a submission to the rulership that there is in Jesus over sin and death. And so we rest and find life in our lives. Amen and amen. Glory to God. What an awesome gospel. Let us pray together. Father, thank you so much for the rulership of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the depth, the length, the width, the absolute uh, glorious saturation of life that we can see the, the beautiful equilibrium between God and man and the system of life that we find in heaven that now has entered this earth in the flesh of Jesus Christ, where we submit to that rule and we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that we can be lifted up, raised up unto eternal life by your doing. I thank you, Lord, for everybody that is watching me online via YouTube and Facebook and wherever this message might go. I thank you that I can declare you as Lord and that they can hear this word. Thank you for the thousands of people that have submitted to this rulership of life. I thank you that your kingdom is an ever-advancing, ever-increasing kingdom that can never end. Thank you, Lord, that we as Christians don't have our hope in politics and in presidents and in the systems of this world because we have found the order of life. Father, we have found the, 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 the order of an endless life, the order of Melchizedek, the order of an endless life. We are not under the order of sin and death anymore. And we are invited by Jesus, by you, Lord, unto this life and we accept i declare peace over everyone that's watching this message and i tell you and i speak to your spirit i speak to your mind i speak to the core of your very being i speak to every fiber of your flesh even and i'm saying to you you are flooded with life god's life amen and amen Thank you so much that I could serve you with this good news. Thank you for allowing me to bring this good news message to you. I want to just uh, remind, remind you, maybe you watch this on uh, YouTube, both on YouTube and on Facebook. I've got a daily devotional that I send out where I just have, I try to keep it shorter than 10 minutes. If I can do five, it is, it's good. Just a, a message where I bring this message even in a more simpler form 
that you can listen to it every day. So if you subscribe to the YouTube channel and you click that bell icon there, you will find that you're reminded of this. Uh, if you're listening to this online on Facebook or, or on YouTube and you can hit the like there, it helps the algorithm and this gets shared to people that, um, that are basically in the same vein of thinking as what you are, you know, how these things work. More people can, can see this. So if you subscribe, you'll get those daily devotionals as well. Um, if you would like to receive it via your telephone on WhatsApp or on Telegram, you, what you can do is you can just email us at info at dynamicministries.com and request to be put on the uh, WhatsApp list. And it's not a group, it's a broadcast, so you don't have people with likes and thumbs up that irritates you. It is just a simple message that comes from me directly to you and you will receive uh, the daily devotional via uh, the phone and an audio message and you'll be able to watch that. Well, we've come to the end of our message. Thank you so much for your love and your care towards, uh, towards me and Eliana and just the supporting of this ministry as well as just your enthusiasm around the gospel of grace. It's, it's just a privilege to serve you. We'll see you then again next week. God bless.